What's up, everybody? My name is Woody, and on today's episode, we have my boy Jonathan Christensen, aka JC, a very close friend of mine. I've been waiting to do this one for a really long time. He's been a very busy man. He does an extremely important job, literally behind the scenes. He does music supervision and sync. Essentially, when you feel all the feels while you're watching a TV show or a movie, he's behind the scenes making you feel some type of way with the music selection. Also a DJ and a music producer, I trust Jonathan's ear and impeccable taste for music creation and vibes more than anyone. So listen up, friends, to my conversation with the one, the only, Jonathan Christensen. What up? What up? You had an accident on the way over here, man. That sucks. Ain't nothing but a thing. <laughs> Minor hiccup in the day. No, overall great day. You got Geico? No, I had Progressive. And now I'm with AAA. Really? Yeah. But they come in like get your shit if you're yeah. on the side of the road, you got a flat tire, they'll come change it? Of course. Yeah. I don't That's that vertical. That they got everything. Have you ever changed a tire in LA? Like on the side of the freeway or had oh, to like yeah. stop? Oh yeah, especially when I first moved here. I didn't even have AAA and I was just, um, and that was before Uber too. Shit, that was 11 years ago, so. Yeah, that's like the decline of humanity, like caring about each other. Because right. you're on the side of the road, like nobody gives a fuck about you. Nobody even slows down in LA. Like mm-hmm. you'll be on the side of the road and there's like five feet between you and death. <laughs> and everybody's just like, boom, just flying by just oh my god and then trying to get back on the freeway from oh, yeah. that it's disgusting so anyways we were just talking Dri- about just driving in LA just driving in LA because nobody walks in LA it's terrible yeah it's a terrible thing can I tell you a quick ri- random story yeah the one of the when I first started my internship one of we used to get walk-in solicitors because our address leaked on the internet somewhere and one of the guys who walked in was like the guy who wrote Walking in L.A. You know, what is that? You know that song? No. Nobody Walks in L.A.? No. <laughs> Apparently they play it uh, on Power 106 like from time to time, like once a year for some event. But really? Anyway. Is yeah. it a rap song? No, it's, it's a cheesy jingle. But That's crazy. Is it for a <clears throat> licensing company that you're... It, it was a guy like peddling the song. That was like his claim to fame. So you just put peddling it door to door. That's a way to go about it. Yep. Jesus, man. That would kind of be effective right now, I think. Oh, yeah. The if in-person. You, yeah, because yeah. everybody's so digital. and Just just, just getting access, though, to peop, to gatekeepers is the challenge, you know? Yeah. Of course, you. that's why people go to conferences and... You need the addresses. Spend money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's this... How do you service music? Of course, it's all digital now, but, you know, when you were sending CDs or even USBs, you could... You could send a gift with it or package it. Dude, nicely. it was crazy. Dude. That's how I. That's when I moved to LA. I sent a CD to Shaw Money XL. Damn, who was Fifty Cent's manager? Did I tell you this? No. Uh, I was living in Northern California, just making beats and, you know, thinking shit was impossible. And I randomly found Shaw Money XL's 
a dress in a magazine or something. He ta- he was, yeah, <laughs> something like so. or like Scratch Magazine. <laughs> yep, he yep. was talking about like, yeah, I'm open to anybody sending me beats. I was like, you know what? I'm about to burn this motherfucker a CD. <laughs> so like I burned him a CD and, uh, you know, sent it to him thinking whatever. And then I get this phone call. And I'm like, yo. And he's like, yo, shit's fire. <laughs> like, he himself called you back. Yeah, I'm like, what? And he's just like, uh, yeah, man, shit's fire. I'm going to show it to 50. And I was just what? like, what? And this was when like Were you living 50 in the bay? was on the peak. Were you living in the bay? Uh, just north of San Francisco in this small Sonoma County. Damn. Up there. Just like playing in a band, not doing, you know what I mean? Like yeah, just yeah. doing music shit in, not in a major hub city. And uh, yeah, he hit me back. And that was like part of the reason I moved to LA because wow. I was thinking to myself, well, if that's one CD that like I sent out, and I got hit back. One like, for one. I must be talented. So I got to get my ass a into a situation. Ba- thousand to be percent batting average. A thousand percent batting average. So, but nothing, nothing actually happened from it. But the fact that he hit me back and was like, "I'm gonna show this to the hottest artists in the industry right now." Crazy. Okay. <laughs> and like, had you done the in the club re, uh, remix by then, um, or is maybe that because of it? Maybe. Maybe, yeah, it might have been actually. I don't really know. Back then, acapellas were so hard to come by. I think <laughs> I just came up on the acapella and I was like, "Yo, I found this fifty cent acapella. <laughs> this is crazy." So yeah, what was it back then? Like you know, now it's like a torrent or just like someone passing you, passing you on the low. I, You'd have to find like a maxi single. Oh yeah, yeah. they used to drop those. You know, yeah. like the buy it on eBay. Yeah, buy it on eBay. Or, <laughs> Jesus Christ, we're old. But yeah, that was uh, that was crazy, man. So that in-person shit is impactful. Like if you can actually find somebody to stock, or find something to mail somebody, like an edible arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean with your CD. Yeah, I've gotten so. like a fifteen-dollar Starbucks gift card with a solicitation for music, and like that shit works. <laughs> I can't lie. <laughs> I, I li- I'll. Isn't that actually bribery? <laughs> like, isn't that considered? Yeah. I it's would, like borderline. It's on the fence. You know, like, I guess payola, payola, play, playola, yeah, whatever yeah. that is. Like Playsola. <laughs> doesn't doesn't mean the song got licensed or placed. It yeah. means it got to listen. It you means know? you got some coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where were you interning when uh, that dude came in? Hit the ground running. When, oh really? When I first moved here to LA. So that was your first internship? Yeah. What? Yeah. Damn. Just just the same way, like you. S- I was one for one. I just sought out the guys. I was watching a lot of Entourage at the time, and I was like, man, that soundtrack is fire. Let, yeah. me, let me find those guys. And I stalked them. It was like pretty hard to find contact information. I found a random interview that the guys had done with like a, a speaker company. I guess they were like, they had a partnership with a speaker company that I don't think exists anymore. But um, at the bottom of that like article, they mistakenly enlisted the email address. Oh, shit. They intentionally kept it hidden everywhere else. So wow. I stalked them out and hit them up. And then they were like, oh, yeah, I was living in Boston at the time. And they were like, oh, yeah, hit us up if you ever move to LA. And like a couple weeks later, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm here. No way. Yeah. Because, so you moved out here because of that? Yeah. Damn. That's wild. That's wild, dude. I thought you were like interning a bunch of different places before you no, did hit the ground. I had a, had a crappy 
job. I had a crappy internship in uh, Boston, but there's no real music industry there. Yeah. So totally. it wasn't it wasn't very legit. So it's like the same thing. It's like you have to kind of go to where yeah, the yeah. industry is. Like where whatever you're doing, if you're in the automotive industry, like right. you need to go. I guess not Detroit anymore, but China. I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> like the way here, GM just went on strike. No. Yeah, this is like day four, I think. Damn. Because they're they're back to making record profits, but the the people on the actual line, the people who are doing the work, aren't back to even the levels they were at like Ugh. ten years ago. So, yeah, I think Detroit is actually still the town. I I, I just was talking about it yesterday, um, planning a trip for next year because I've never been, but I want to go out there. I've heard it's lit. I want to buy like an old church and like convert it into some crazy shit. Dude, you and I did not talk about this ahead of time, but that's no. exactly what the people I was hanging with, um, colleagues, industry peers, friends in the industry who I was meeting with yesterday, they actually did buy a church. They bought what? a church, like, <laughs> that's crazy. but it's a whole like little campus. They have like four buildings. Yeah. They've turned the ch- they're, they're little con- pews and shit like on the side that are. Well, they like- took out the pews, but they that's like a huge live room. They can have con- they can have shows down there. Up in the like pulpit or whatever, they put a recording studio. The whatever was next door like is part of the um, campus, and now they're they're gonna build a build something. Artists can stay when they come to town. <sighs> they're building this whole community aspect. That's so it's, cool. It's fucking. I don't know if so I could dope. brave the winters though. That that's the only thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Rough. Super rough winters. Yeah. yeah, it's you know I think a lo- just like a lot of cities right now, it's uh, revitalizing, mm-hmm. gentrifying, changing. Yeah, it's popping, dude. So did you? How did you get to where? Like, it's a really odd path to go and do music licensing and sync and what you do. So where where was the point where you were like? Yo, I want to do this, or do you, do you even like realize? Most people don't even realize like that's a job. That's a very specific niche job to like place music in picture movies, TV shows to evoke a feeling, an emotion, and add to like the ambience of the story. You know, yeah. People don't even realize that shit is so like in there. So when did you decide like, oh, that's a job, and I want to do that, like? Yeah, I remember at the end, towards the end of my uh, days at this, at that little internship in Boston, I was just, I couldn't do that in the long term. And I remember looking up, just literally Googling music industry jobs, and I had a list of like 20, here's 25 jobs you can do in the music industry. And I went through and I highlighted like my top five. Huh. I forget if it was like maybe artist management, work at a label, et cetera. Was the internship, were you just working at like a traditional label style? <laughs> yeah, I was working at this company that was putting together a compilation. I was hitting up indie artists and trying to get them onto this compilation. It's like, I mean, this is definitely dating myself, but it was like, hit them up on MySpace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, nice. Um, and we, yeah, we'd sign, up for that, sign them up for the compilation, do some promotional services, but it wasn't, it wasn't super legit. So... I discovered music supervision just based on, um, like I said, Entourage, which is like crazy influential. The, the, I just used to obsess over the soundtrack and found, I was like, a light bulb went off when I was like, oh, that's somebody's job. That is dope. That's and nice. yeah, once you, once you get the bug, you know, you got you to gotta scratch that itch. Yeah, 
For sure. Um, so I didn't really know. I had no contacts, no education, no experience, but um, just made it happen. You know, you just jump feet first in, and yeah, that's that's the advice I always give to like people who want to do this. Well, I, I say first, if you can do anything else, do that, and if you can't do anything else, you have to be willing to just like learn, hustle. The whole whole adage of um, you make fake it till you make it. You prove the model. Yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Start start getting coffee for people, asking questions, showing up, and yeah. Then eventually you'll become indispensable. And you got to be like you got to make that move too. You know, you got to go to L.A. or go to New York or go to wherever the the industry is because you can make, get coffee for people and intern all day but if you're in a yeah. tiny bubble where you know the guy you're interning for is some washed up person who doesn't know what they're doing you got to go straight to the source yeah go straight to the source dude yeah and yeah. i think spending time figuring out who the real decision makers are is the most and then finding those people are the most important things like you know our company has a record label now and one of the things we're spending a lot of time on now is finding out who the actual decision makers are for a lot of these big playlists. And there's a lot of secrecy, and um, you know, on purpose they make themselves a little difficult to track down. But finding finding those people and building those relationships are like probably some of the most valuable relationships you can have in the music industry now. So yeah, it's like it all comes down to real people though you know these even in music companies they're they're built on real people they're not it's not like spotify just runs by itself even though they have dope algorithms (laughs) what about influencer playlisting is that a thing interesting so you you're saying a playlist guest curated by an influencer yeah because i mean you know there's drake's been a proponent of that i mean he's an artist himself but you know, Drake will come out with a playlist, quote unquote, <laughs> and he might drop a new track on there or something. But he's really just curating a bunch of shit, and most of the time, it's his label music, and he's promoting his ego. You know, mm-hmm. the we, the we, whoever his artists are. Um, yeah, his OVO crew. But it would be interesting to have just a regular influencer type of a person start, you know, curating playlists and shit. I think that'd be rad. Like if I was Apple Music or Spotify or somebody, that's I think that's one thing I would do right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah just, if if they have good taste in music, you know, not every influencer has is. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it's because yeah. you're you're talking to their fan base at that point. Yeah, at the end of the day, yeah. the services just want people to use their service. So if yeah. if you know Gary Vee does a guest spot for Spotify and some people sign up for Spotify because of it that's all they care about they I don't, ca- they don't care shit. about the actual music I would for there. sure listen to that like if Gary Vee came out with the playlist I'd be like oh shit let me check out what is on here you know he does right you know oh he uh, does he, he oh put, he put Thurs uh, on that that's right uh, yeah. that's right that's right that's right I gotta go check that out <laughs> <laughs> he forgot about that so they're kind of doing it already in a way yeah. or he is I well guess. I mean He's, that's Spotify hasn't hasn't contracted him to do that, you know. But I think I think your point is is valid, though. I think the the services will always try to like do cross cross promotion that way. You know? Yeah. Same way you've worked on events with uh with with that platform. Yeah. With sure. artists. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, watching this interview with my girl, my main Charlie XCX. Oh shit! I love her, man. She's so talented. She's, she's so dope. She's fantastic. Um, we were talking about fancy earlier. <laughs> she's <laughs> oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. She she's on the hook, huh? Yep. 
Um, but she was talking about how it's changed, like streaming has changed music again, you know? Mm-hmm. You, as far as shortening the length of songs and things like that? Yeah, just the attention span of people mm-hmm. and how we release music. And yep. I guess it's a common term, the waterfall thing now okay. is, a, is a common term at record labels where you basically just release a bunch of singles and see what sticks. Mm. And then that leads to an album or an EP or whatever else. Got it. Is ba- you know, based off of popularity of singles. So, so is that why we've, we've seen more like, I guess you don't even have to call it double or triple album because it's just a, a number, but... I remember seeing like albums recently that have 27, 35 songs on them. I don't know if that's the reason. I think that's just the artist's choice. I think that it's so ridiculous, man. Yeah. The way that, I mean, it's, it's a, their prerogative. I think it's if you have 27 songs in you and you need to like get them off, sure. But I think it's kind of ridiculous. But just like not every idea people say is worth listening to, not every song of that. 27 album is going to be like worth your time. Yeah. Not at all. Well, I think a lot of a lot of labels are banking they're still obviously influenced by the old models and stuff, but they they have this thing where it's like an album is such a they put it on a pedestal, right? Mm-hmm. When it's really the artist that they should be paying attention to. It's not that it's not the album. Sure. So, you know, I was just reading Billie Eilish is touring Based off of her 2017 EP, yeah, or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like her. You're investing in her. It's not this album. It's like if an artist released, like if you took that like a 27 song album, right, that an artist was doing, and you split that up into four, three or four different EPs and released them over the course of six months, mm-hmm. I think that would do more for the artist than anything. Yeah, know? for sure. And you know the. <clears throat> the release windows, like people expect music. If you haven't heard from, you know, if you love Lord and you haven't heard from her in 18 months, you like assume she's dead. <laughs> totally. You know? Totally. But at the same time, I do like the focused energy of a project. You know, creating an album is like writing a book. You can write a bunch of blog posts, but that book is going to be your like lasting legacy. Yeah. Your kind of timeless, uh, perennial seller. And that's and I think that's why people continue to make albums. If you For look sure. at people like Kendrick, like they're continuing to push forward that sure Kendrick could definitely drop four EPs in a year, but like I don't know. I just think in the in the long term, like people are gonna continue to make albums personally. I don't have the personally. time, dude. Yeah. I don't have the time. But the albums for like the super fan. Yeah. I mean, I've been listening single... to Charlie's album. <laughs> and I love her. You know, yeah. I listen to a few songs. So you're just, just more in the playlist mode now. Playlists have overtaken your habits? No, nah, it's just songs. Just songs. It's yeah. songs, or if you have an EP I could burn through real yeah. quick. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like uh, EPs, are, I don't know how big they were back in the day because I think it was albums and then you'd have singles and then you'd have albums. You wouldn't, EPs is like the. It was like the massive singles where you'd have four, three tracks or something. Yeah. Yeah. But but I don't think people like really thought about those consciously as putting together like three fire tracks. It would just be like the top three tracks from the album. Yeah. As a promotion to try to get you to buy. (laughs) You remember when you buy buy the single and you'd be like, God damn it, I'm going to buy the album now. (laughs) So you like spent $7.99 for the single. Then you had to spend $15.99 for the album. Oh, Amazon. All right, Amazon. 
Um, it's crazy. So I you order some maxi singles? Yeah, a whole box of maxi singles, fifty cent acapellas. <laughs> uh, um, it's crazy since I got this sound system. I just got some speakers and I set up my record player. And this was this was a few days ago. I found myself. It's crazy. I put on a record, uh, record right, and I'll sit here or be working, mm-hmm. and there'll be a point in the album for every single record I've put on where I'm like opening another window on my computer to try to change the song. <laughs> wow. And when I realize I can't do it, I'm like, oh, I can't change it. And then I just go back to working and I enjoy it. Really? Yeah. It's wild. It's taken that instant gratification away. The instant yeah. gratification. You're absolutely right. And you've you're discovered right. songs that you would have skipped over. Yeah. Or like, yeah, 1,000%. Or like you may have turned off that album com- completely. Yeah. yeah, it's wild. It forces you to listen to the entire thing. Yeah. I've, I, yeah, like I said before, I'm a big fan of the, the format. I, um, How do you find the Ali time? Got, to... Ali got me a subscription to Vinyl Me Please. Oh, and that's really? A, Wait, it's a subscription? It, yeah, it's so a what? monthly service. It's a record club. It's just yeah. like you know Columbia Records back in the day would send you like a bunch of CDs every month. Yeah. You get one album a month. There's like three different tracks, they call it. But it's like, they have classic, they have hip hop, and then I think they have like just new releases. What? And you can pick and choose and they have uh, exclusive pressings. So I got like this crazy biggie ready to die re-release and they, they had artists come in and like print this crazy red and white vinyl and do special artwork for it. Dude, oh. that's killer. Yeah. I got to sign up for that. <laughs> it's amazing. That's awesome. But it's, it's gotten me back into buying vinyl again too. Yeah. So, yeah. That's wild. It's crazy that we actually were buying vinyl. Yeah. I always made fun of people too for buying vinyl. <laughs> and now I'm buying vinyl. <laughs> it's an experience though. It's, uh, it is. It's a, it's a tangible thing. You touch it, you feel it, you put it on, you, you experience the album and it's... How do you and and I was just and I was just thinking about this the other day too. That's the reason people have like listening events for their album release. Yeah. Because of course it's easier to just let everybody listen at once. But that first time you hear the album, it's it's about your emotional reaction, right? That's how you're gonna judge if you love an album mm-hmm. is how you feel at the time. And if you're at an album listening party and you've got the, they bought you. A fr- couple of drinks, they have some good catering, there's good vibes, maybe the artist is there, you get to meet them, you're gonna you're naturally gonna probably like that album a lot more. hundred percent. Yeah. Than if you're just like clicking through browsing through Spotify. Yeah. You know? Oh for sure. Everything's so forgettable. Man. I can't wait for the day that they have like album album releases in movie theaters with like high-end sound systems. And so all around the country, people can experience this like, this is just a crazy idea. I, have, I should probably just like market, do it myself. Yeah. But uh, imagine going on like a Friday and you can, any AMC theater around the country, you can listen to the new Billie Eilish album exclusively on this like, you can sit in the theater, watch your music videos. Yeah. And then, and then like the ne- maybe next week, everybody else gets to hear it. That'd be fire. She would be crazy. Dude, you should do that. Yeah. Why are you doing that? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought of it. <laughs> That's so cool, dude. I would totally, yeah, the visual aspect, you'd have to figure out, but it wouldn't be that difficult. It could just be clips well, and bullshit or visuals, you know? 
Well, certain artists just like a show, like a regular show background, how they have the stuff on the stage. And it wouldn't work for every artist, but you think about Beyonce, when she drops an album. What, what was it, Lemonade, or was uh, what was the album she dropped all twelve music videos? Like I think it was. Lemonade. It was a surprise release, and she had music yeah. videos for every song. Yeah, that shit was crazy. Damn, that, you'd have to get AMC to buy into it. But I think that would be a or a, you know the movie theater chain. Yeah, I think they would benefit from it though. With the sales of movies and shit right now, yeah. I mean, I just thought, I just got an alert because I'm a um, A list member, and I just got an alert. They're showing NFL games now on Sundays. What in, in the theater? Yeah. Where? You why you want to go? AMC or yeah. <laughs> AMC? I mean, if they got Red Zone, I'm there. <laughs> True. I guess I can't watch like one game now. I gotta watch all of them. Dude, that's that's because that's because now you're used to that click. Because I'm just the ADD is ADD. just on maximum, dude. It's it's absolutely insane. I'm trying to fight that the the hardest I can, man. You know I do those social media cleanses. I know. I'm like I know. Trying to regain my sense of focus and this. But this is the argument I have all the time. Is like I don't have an issue with. I just don't. I guess it's my personality or something. Yeah, like I don't have an issue with it because I don't. You're just a prolific dude, and you can bounce. No, around. No, dude, it's not that. You it's just bounce that. around, and you just. Have... I just don't follow shitty people or shitty accounts. Okay. You know, like I'm not really following a bunch of meme stuff because you just get oh, caught up. Those are irresistible. You go me. down the meme hole, and you're yeah. just pretty soon. You're like, God damn, it's 8 p.m. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck? And like, it's yeah, it's just interesting, man. Some people really struggle with it. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's just a, a, quite a time to be alive. What a time! Yeah. Um, so, how do you listen to albums? You sit down and kind of block off time, or how do you in the car? When you, how do you listen to? Yeah, in the car is my favorite because it's good sound system and it's dedicated time yeah. to focus. When I'm at home, it's um, you know I'll throw on an album if I'm like cleaning or doing laundry or something. But it's a lot more mixtapes and radio, and you know, Allie and I have slightly different tastes. So yeah. some, some albums I'll be fired up for. She'll be like, "What is this?" <laughs> so yeah, I, I have a list. I have an ongoing list of albums that I just are on my like queue. Yeah, and um, I just try to get through that as often as possible. Damn, it's too much. We're just living in an age like we just can't consume everything. No, that's why I come. That's why curators are. Mo- are super valuable and will never go away. Totally. Because same with TV shows. Like, we're just thinking about this um, yesterday. How how many studios are in there now that are creating like high volumes of content? You got everybody. Every, just everybody. Yeah. There's just so much. So it's like the new. Now arms at the race. end of the day, when you sit down, turn turn on TV, and you feel lost at sea, like with what to watch, and you're probably gonna watch whatever. A friend recommended, a hundred percent, and that friend is your personal curator. Like I don't even watch. Normally, I don't even watch what is recommended to me by the algorithms and stuff. Mm. That's why I spend all my time just searching through Netflix and shit, mm. and I never actually watch anything. I'm just like, <laughs> ah, 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 yeah. Ah. Here's the thing. That's you know? the I forget what the. Um, but if you're like, yo, you got to go watch Mindhunter, I'm like on it. <laughs> exactly. Put it in the queue. There's a thing called I think it's called decision paradox or something, but it's it says like if you were given two options, you watch Mindhunter or 
uh, Stranger Things, you could make that decision. But mm-hmm. if you have to choose one thing out of 1,000 titles. Fatigue. Decision oh, fatigue. Decision fatigue. Yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah. It's like In-N-Out Burger. Right. That's why their menu's so basic. Right. Yeah. Because they're just like, yeah. They make you feel good about like, oh, this is what I get when I come here. I want a confident burger. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and confident fries and my drink of choice. But straight up, that's why I don't go to cheesecake. Oh, hell no. Yeah, that's way too much, dude. That's, way, that's so much. So that's, much. Uh, it, but they also like don't have confidence in their menu. If if they say they do everything, that means they do everything like okay. Yeah, I get scared as fuck, dude. When you go like you see a Mexican food spot, this is mostly in California only, but you see a Mexican food spot and they're just like they got burgers. They got burgers. That's a red flag, dude. That is like the, they might as well put a red flag on the roof. Yep. Because I'm not going to that place. Yep. Like if you say <laughs> we got burgers, tacos, burgers, tacos. <laughs> No, same with music though like yes yeah. you know if I really respect people who do like one thing and do it really well yeah and that's what they focus all their yeah that's 10, what I need 10,000 hours on that's what I need to do for sure that's the plight man of being a creative is just like you're all over the fucking place yeah you know you just need to like stay in your lane <laughs> yeah and not like you can't evolve but to to be focused on one on something is so important. It's admirable for yeah. sure. For sure. <laughs> I wish I could do that. It's like, I guess it's like self control in a way. Or actually, I found that it's limiting, it's like limiting yourself. I was reading some article with this producer that was still producing with plugins and an operating system from like 10 years ago. <laughs> Just be like, like some digital house, performer some house or producer something? or something. Okay. Yeah, some house producer is like, I use a nine hundred nine kit and I use like all these old instruments because it's it's what I'm used to and it kind of keeps you in a box where mm. if you have a million options to make something, you're gonna be all over the place, you know. So I found when I limit myself, you kind of make a cohesive sound or a cohesive project too, you know. So would you ever go as far as, or do you go as far as deleting plugins that you're like, eh, this is cool, but I'd rather have less? No, it's not, it's not really deleting plugins. It's like uh, when I was making a bunch of beats when I was house sitting. Yeah. I only have my laptop. Mm. And I have like one synth plugin and a bunch of drum samples and shit, you know, yep. to play with. And that's it. Opposed to here, I have guitars and all kinds of shit that I can mess with and right. millions of plugins on my main computer. But as soon as I open up my laptop and I'm limited, it's like, oh, I can just shit out stuff because it's the same formulaic Hell thing yeah. and you're just not, you know. Hell yeah. It's, it's interesting. My former um, setup, had I had this computer with like, I went to one of those guys who will hook you up with like every plugin under the sun. You pay him like three hundred bucks and you (laughs) cracks up everything. That computer is done and dusted, so I don't. I can. I feel okay saying that because I don't use it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) But now my laptop has like way far fewer plugins, and they're all legally paid for, and I feel so much better. Not because I paid for them, but because I have like I know what I'm working with. I can spend time getting to know them. Yeah. Like. Yeah. familiarizing myself with them and getting confident in them instead of being like, oh, there's like seven different reverb plugins. Like, which one do I use? Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. It's, anyway. it's ridiculous. 
You got to limit yourself. Yeah, yeah, I should probably do that. I should probably delete a bunch of shit <laughs> off of my other computer. Yeah, it's wild. Um, yeah, crazy, dude. There's something I was going to ask you. I can't. It just flew out of my brain. Um, yeah. Oh, it was the, the, streaming, the streaming wars yeah. and, ha- and how things are going. Uh, it's in, funny because in we movies talk- and TV, right? Just everything with yeah, movies and TV, all that, all that shit. Uh, I was sitting here the other day with my buddy Ross, and we were talking about all these platforms popping up, mm-hmm. and it's Disney and it's Apple and it's this other shit, and already paying so much for these, you know, Netflix, Hulu. I got premium YouTube because I can't watch ads; drives me nuts. And a, f- a couple other things. I'm paying, you know, close to a hundred dollars after yeah, it's said each and done. individual service is pretty pretty minimal, but you add it up. You add it all up. Yeah. It's like a hundred dollars. So I bought a hard drive, about like a five terabyte hard drive. Speaking of stealing plugins and doing shit, and I'm just downloading torrents. I'm downloading hella torrents. You hear that, government? Back. I'm, it's I'm back. I'm just, and it's not even. It's I'm downloading stuff that I've even bought on on my uh, Apple TV account or rented mm-hmm. recently just because I want to have it. Mm. Like I want to have it on a hard drive. Half of the shit, it's like Star Wars. It's like I bought Star Wars like three times. You know, I bought it on VHS, I bought it on DVD, <laughs> and I bought the digital. Right. So like I can download that shit. It's fine. But I think that with all these different streaming services, that's going to start happening again. Is I'm not going to sign up for FX Premium. Mm-hmm. To watch it's always sunny in Philadelphia, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason the streaming services, especially even even in music with Spotify, um, part of it, I, I'll use Spotify and Netflix as the two examples. But part of the reason they were so appealing is they had everything. When Netflix came out, it felt like they had everything. That's true. So that's what you're paying a small amount, and like you didn't have to buy anymore. And yeah. same same with Spotify. But now it's like okay, if it's it's all partitioned off and like HBO, you have to buy HBO, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Disney, FX, like you're gonna you're just not going to. It's I think piracy is gonna be back yeah, very soon. A hundred percent. I think it's come it's greed. I mean yeah. if if the industry overall knew it was best for it, it would have like two or three platforms, similar to music industry, with you know, uh, Spotify, Apple and Maybe title you throw it in there, um, and then everyone would license to them. But everyone's greedy. Everyone wants to make that piece well, of the pie. It's interesting because Netflix isn't even positive, right? Like they're not even making money no. technically. No, and Spotify too, right? Spotify is not like in the green. Spotify is closer to being profitable than Netflix is way off. Really, way off. Yeah, they're still investing. Like, what is it like? Eight billion dollars a year or something for like, original content. For original content. Yeah, yeah. Damn. I don't. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to them. I, they they definitely have the subscriber base, but will the base stay loyal once the once you know they have people have to make the hard decision on where to, and what's where it all really worth too, dude? Like, uh, what's it called? The Big Bang Theory. That whole thing. You read about that? No. The so HBO Max. I think it was HBO Max. Uh, just did the biggest deal. So they have the Big Bang Theory for five years, syndication rights for over a billion dollars. Over one billion 
dollars for five years. That's it for five years. Not even like a ten year deal. What for five heck? years, dude. And Seinfeld was right behind that. And, and then Friends, uh, Friends was I was right behind that. So it's like, how much is that shit really worth? Like, right. if you're getting these little micro payments from people for nine dollars a month, right? How much is that really worth? Is that yeah, really going to be? Yeah, I understand those economies of scale. I I just don't get it. Like that can't be worth it for the HBO Max or whoever bought that. It can't. There's no way. Uh, it feels like everyone's just front loading and trying to invest heavy to be like the camel that survives the drought when the exactly. market turns and people start cutting some services. Yeah. It's like who's going to be in front? Pretty much. But I hate to say it, but I think I think Disney is going <laughs> to. They're going to romp, gonna, dude. Yeah. Once that plot, once that service launches, like every parent is going to just be like, "Oh, I can just pay, and my kids can watch all the Disney content." Yeah. Hundred percent. That's gonna. Be, that's the only one that I'm. I'm like a sure bet on. I'm, and I think Amazon will be fine because people pay for Prime separately so for, they other, have for other stuff, yeah. not just for the movies. Amazon's but, in a really good position because I feel like because everybody has it, they're going to be familiar with it and mm-hmm. expect to still have it. So Amazon could be in a place where they, when they do start, because they really haven't done that much shit. They did, they've done some shows. And they've done some cool shit, but not to the scale of what they are probably going to do. Right. And I think they're in a good position because they can do, when they start really churning up the content, then they could do some premium shit where it's like an extra $2 a month, you know? And, right. And it, it's worth it to yep. the consumer. Yeah. They're in a really good position. But Apple, man, they're late to the party, dude. They are. They're late to the party and they're spending so much <clears throat> money on... It's, it's almost like uh, the typical thing where... You can just tell that the person behind the scenes at Apple, t- the TV department, is making who's making the decisions is so jaded and doesn't is not in touch with actually what's going on in the streets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That they're just like, yeah, let's get Jennifer Aniston and this other person and this other person pay them a ton of money and do like a morning show. And it's like, yeah, I hate to say whoa. it, but a, a lot of, from the some of the trailers I've seen, it, a lot of it just seems derivative and just like unoriginal, which is not what I expected. But. No, no. That's kind of Apple in general though right now, I feel like, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. even with the streaming service, like I, f- I feel like if Steve was still around, they would be in a much different place. Like yeah. he was always an innovator and they're, they're kind of playing catch up now. Like their their hardware, of course, is like keeping them highly profitable. But that's kind of going away too, though. But as far as Apple Music and Apple whatever their um, TV streaming is, like there, it feels like they're just playing catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's terrible, man. So it'll be but interesting. I've to heard see. I've heard from friends that they're doing it at least at least to their to their benefit um, and to their credit, they're at least paying paying people well mm-hmm. and they're also like um, in, in music which is the area I know the most about they're, they're like paying good fees for music and they're like doing it there's some shady it, there's people of course trying to cut costs across every industry but especially in music there's some companies that are trying to devalue music even more even though their content relies upon it yeah it's like part of the daily struggle but I've heard Apple is pretty good Huh. Interesting. And how's that? How's the, all this stuff affecting music? Like, you know, like you're saying, like devaluing music. Like, if all these streaming services start coming out for the video stuff and movies, um, and there's a million options, is that 
hinder musicians and kind of well, it gives them more opportunity, more content, and more music. Uh, sorry, more content is going to need more music. Right. And so, there's definitely more opportunity. The cost per license is definitely going down. Mm-hmm. Um, even amongst the major labels and major publishers, they're they're just just to survive and be considered for these projects that have smaller budgets. They they have to lower their costs. Um, I would say it's a Good thing overall, though, because more musicians. This is this is what makes me happiest about my job is that I can support musicians and like help them make a living, and more projects, more multimedia that licenses music provides more more musicians living. Yeah. Um, and for some people, you know, it's a it's like a, just icing on the cake to what they're already doing, and for some people, it's their lifeblood. Yeah. Yeah, but e- even if it being your lifeblood, I think we have this preconceived notion of musicians. You think of musician, and it's like everyone wants to be a rock star and do all this crazy shit. And oh yeah, I got this big car and big house or whatever. But if you can make a living doing music, and that's your passion, yeah, like, and you get paid as much as a school teacher or a who, you know what I mean, like. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's the time we live in. You can actually, there's going to be more people making a living off of music than ever before in a lot of regards. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I hope the, there's a healthy middle class of musicians. And I think there, I think there already is. And I hope it just continues to grow because I think, you know, people obviously aren't paying much for music these days for streaming or for, you know, so artists rely on either touring or licensing or, you know, merch deals. Um, but yeah, I I love the direction it's heading, um, and at the and but that also means more competition for artists who are trying to get into the licensing game. Of course, mm-hmm. they're being, you know, there's. I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot before, but there's so many different companies now, so many music libraries, publishers, labels, <clears throat> sync companies, and everyone's vying for like the premium projects. Mm-hmm. And, so that's what that's a big challenge in, in my job is to keep keep relation to to know who the sources are that who are going to hook me up with good music at a, and know that know that they're getting their deals done properly on the back end mm-hmm. so there's no headaches later but just like just like a any good chef is only as good as his like where he sources his food, <laughs> his ingredients, his, his ingredients. Yeah, no doubt. The same same with the music supervisor. He's only as good as like the people who are feeding him music and where he's hearing it. And which people. is the other part of your job, right? So you, it's not like you can just be like, yo, let's put Jay Z and Beyonce on everything, right? You have to actually license all this stuff on the back end. So you you not only need to find the fitting song. But then you also need to the legal aspect and you know keeping within a budget and there's so many different elements on the back end. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's it's like the um, it's like an unwritten rule that you <clears throat> that you adhere to is you don't really pitch artists like Jay Z, especially if they're not kind of suggested by you'll get those suggestions from your showrunner a lot because that's that a lot of times their points of reference are only really well known artists who are too expensive. So it's about it's about knowing the taste of the curator or the decision maker. Like in my case it would be whatever showrunner it's if it's a director or producer. 
and then being able to suggest artists they can actually afford and and ultimately artists who are like on the come up who would value the sync and also would be a little more cool and tastemaker than Jay. I love Jay, but <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, dude. But if you can hit somebody on their way up, like yeah. if you were licensing Lord when she was coming up, or Billie Eilish, or you know Vic Mensa or whoever, yeah, and they were on the come up. The the things I'm most proud about in my career are like when I was the first person to license an artist. Ultimately, yeah, it's like who? Uh, like like Lana Del Rey. No way. Yeah. Damn. Put um, put blue jeans in. This show called Ringer on CW. Damn. <laughs> um, who else? That's dope. There's but there's been a bunch of artists. Um, especially you know that's a big name like a uh, a big name everyone will know. But especially if I can find an artist on like just SoundCloud or Spotify and be the first thing like they, if they never even thought about Sync and they get an email from me and like I am able to like fortunately find a spot for them that. That could, I've seen that change people's like trajectory of their career before. Yeah. They have something they hadn't even thought about, and they're like, "Oh, this is dope! Like, how can we do more of this?" Dude, you're like Shaw Money XL. <laughs> <laughs> changing lives, dude. Making people do shit. Changing trajectories and stuff. No, it just it just comes down for love of uh, the the love of musician. Of artists and wanting to support that, yeah, that ecosystem. Yeah, that's so cool, dude. At the end of the day, we, I think, um, the the industry, my, the sync industry, a lot of times can be corny. There's a lot of musicians who will just like, they'll hear this Drake song and they'll make like a bunch of songs that sound like Drake because that's what they think people want to license. Mm-hmm. But I think there's the artists who can do their real art bring their real artist um, voice and vision to but also make make music that has like the lyrics and the styles that I need that's what I yeah that's what stands you out. have to feel it you know mm-hmm. like I remember I remember there was a uh, we worked together on Silicon Valley like mm-hmm. we got a bunch of music and several times few, yeah a few of the seasons and I remember it was like last season or the season before I was like alright I make a bunch of Silicon Valley music and I like sat down and made a bunch of music that I thought would go well in the show and like none of it got in there. I was just like, oh shit, I'm trying too hard, man. I'm like doing the most. And then as soon as I sat down, it was just like, fuck it. I'm going to make some cool sounding hip hop stuff. Yeah. Like ding, 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 ding. Like, oh shit. When you're yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big part of it. You got to just do you. Because that's yeah, you you watch a show and you're and you think about it as just like oh that's a general soundscape. So I just make something that sounds like that. But at the end of the day, we're always trying to, as curators, we're also trying to progress and evolve. And so we're looking for like, and push the envelope next. because, yeah. like you were saying with Entourage, it's like the coolest thing about Entourage was the ending credits, or mm-hmm. you'd hear a song in the middle of it where you're like, okay. What is that song? Unexpected. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. Entourage was dope, but that was also like 15, 20 years ago. If you came out with a show, like, I'm not going to say what it, what it was, but we didn't end up working on it, but we got contacted to work on a show. We went in for a couple meetings and we realized, we realized real quick, they just literally wanted to recreate Entourage. And we were like, 
And like they, for the premise of the show, for, not just the music aspect. It was like well, mostly entire... for visual and audio soundscape. Yeah. Like it was, it was based a, on a slightly different like topic. It wasn't like a movie star. It was, it was a guy who played, who played poker. Yeah. But um, they all the music choices were like almost verbatim from from the same artist we licensed. And this is like 15 years later, and we were just and when we realized we, that was their direction, and we. Didn't really have much input to like change that. We're, we we left the project. Damn. You so can't you can't recreate magic. Like, you, do most people give you guys the freedom to really like dig in and curate, or is there walls that are put up where like, all right, don't put any bluegrass in here because it's fucking whatever, you know? Like, man, every project's different. A lot of um, a lot of directors have really specific visions they want to go for, and a lot of time, and then some of them will hire you. And they'll defer to you because they have less of a. They're not as like either educated or interested in the music, um, and they're more directing because they love because they more of a cinematographer or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, every every project we get brought on is for a different reason. Uh, sometimes it's to for our access to like favorable deals and helping realize a. a tight budget and sometimes it's for just pure curation and that's like right. bringing the dope shit and then a lot most of the time it's a mixture between both that's cool yeah that's cool because there's always I mean it depends on the project you know the if it's a sci-fi movie or something I just watched I'd never seen any of the John Wick movies mm-hmm. have you seen those no I've, I've watched the trailer so I'm familiar with it's the fucking it's really good dude. It's I'm not even super in it. I, the reason I didn't watch it because I'm so hesitant on action movies because it's like alright there's some dude and then somebody dies and he's getting revenge and whatever and then there's a bunch of fight scenes it's like cool but this is actually it's actually a good movie and the music in it is fantastic. Really? Yeah it's, it's the score really cool. Or the, the score like it's kind of um, I don't really know who did it but it reminds me of, um, it's not the genre, but the style of how everything is cohesive. Um, the dude from Nine Inch Nails, I think. Trent Reznor? Trent Reznor. Yeah. It's kind of got that kind of vibe where it sounds like something he, not musically that he would do, but in the cohesion gotcha. department. It's, it's really well so done. So did you binge the, all, all, what is there, I four of see, them? I haven't seen the third one, but I've watched the first two. Uh, and they were really good. All right. Yeah, it's super cool. Put it on the list. But there's always those other, the other side of the fence where it's like anti-cohesion in a way where you're making a, a statement, you know, like mm. a Tarantino movie or something mm-hmm. where the guy's walking out of a diner and they start playing some oldies or, you know, some opera shit and you're like, what the fuck is going on right now, you know? Yep. It's, it's pretty cool how music can really affect the story and what's happening. Yeah, and that's intentional. Some, you know, sometimes music's supposed to be just a like background or just kind of like wallpaper. Yeah, and sometimes it's supposed to say something. Totally. Yeah, it's cool. And knowing that is like the most important part. I think when I first started in the industry in my internship, I didn't realize that. So I would focus sometimes on I'd I'd get, like when I was a junior at the company, I would the first couple times I got to pitch in my creative ideas. I was working on the like spots that w- were less sexy. There was like, yeah. oh, choose some uh, some music <laughs> for the for this hotel lobby, or <laughs> yeah, some piano music for this for this lounge, right? And you were just and I would like and I would go crazy over like 
um, spending a lot of time on it. And yeah. you got to realize the perspective of like, oh, this is not something people are going to notice or, or yeah. like care about. Um, but you know, everything is a learning experience. But now I would just want to focus on the big spots and just like make a statement, make something people remember, yeah. um, stand out. I think that's what we all do. Like even as a creator, right? You want to want to create something that people that you can kind of call your own sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of like uh, there's. I, I feel like, and this goes back to I think my first episode where I was talking about everyone's creative. Mm-hmm. It just comes down to how much do you trust yourself, you know? Because ultimately, I never took any lessons for anything. Like I've watched YouTube videos for learning how to animate or learning how to do Photoshop shit. And I didn't take really any piano lessons or anything. It's just kind of like, does it sound cool? Okay, cool. And then how do you do this? Like look it up and learn how to do this little thing and then this other little thing. And then then it just compounds on each other. And pretty soon you can make a beat. But it's not like... It's not like I'm consciously thinking, and I and I always go back to like I never want to learn jazz or classical music because it's going to ruin pop music for me because it's going to be like, okay, I see what you're doing with the inverted seventh diminished and going into this, and you're just becoming an asshole, you know? Not that you're an asshole if you're making classical music because you need to know those things to make that specific genre, but like I don't want to make class, I want to make pop music and like this type of shit, so. I think in a way it ruins it, but you want to appreciate the. Um, th- there's there's beauty in simplicity too, though. Yeah, like, I know yeah. I mentioned Steve Jobs before, but like that was always his thing. He wanted to like, what's the simplest, cleanest design and like the simplest idea, and I really respect the shit out of that because pop music can can be beautiful too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, absolutely. Like most of it is. I listen yeah. to a lot of jazz. I actually have been listening to a lot more classical because of a project I'm working on. But and I appreciate those for different reasons. But those are like, those are heavy. Like to really listen to jazz and not have it be in the background. It drives me it's, crazy. It's heavy. Yeah, it drives like, me nuts. There's yeah. a lot of emotion in it. A lot going on. Like, man, it can be it, chaotic. It's it can be beautiful. It can way. take you yeah. kind of just. A million different places at once. Yeah, you know, as we're in pop music, it's like one message that's I don't want to say diluted, but like simplified mm-hmm. to the point of just like, you know, it's more repetitious for sure and sim- simple. But the simplicity is difficult because there is. is also because every word matters, every y- note exactly, matters. Exactly, the specific sound, like the main sound that you use in a song or a composition, right. is so much more important at that point. Right. You know, it's not ten different things. It's just like that thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, like in a jazz song, if the drummer had like an off day, but the but the <laughs> yeah. sax was killing it. Yeah. The not, the track would still be fire. It's but fine. like in a pop song, if like the hook is kind of like questionable, the the song's not going. It's anywhere. gonna kill it. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent gonna kill it. Yeah, it's interesting, dude. Jazz drives me nuts. But um. Nuts in a good way or a bad way. <laughs> Nuts in a bad way. <laughs> Nuts in a really bad way. Like I never really I never I, I, I should say smooth jazz I really like. Because it's pretty ba- it's pretty basic, right? Mm-hmm. You got you have this like backbone of music and you have some asshole on like a saxophone playing over the kind of simplistic backbeat, right. you know? Right. And then it's it's 
listenable. It's like the guy on the sidewalk who has a sax, but he brings his backing track. That's totally. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can I can get down with that all day. But like <laughs> jazz, I remember somebody was like, oh, you don't like Coltrane? And I was just like, I can't really get down with that shit, man, because I just overanalyze it and it drives me crazy. And somebody's like, okay, so check this out. I'm going to give you the CD. Just get really high tonight and just put your headphones on and listen to this shit. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know what? I'm going to fucking do it. <laughs> Did so, you enjoy it? Absolutely not. I, I, I went home, got super, super stoned. I put my headphones on and I was about, I must've been about three or four minutes in and I just ripped my headphones off and I was just like, <gasps> done. Oh God, that was fucking crazy. Intense. <laughs> like, yeah. I cannot deal, dude. It's way too much. Way too much. You know what I've been uh, reading a lot about lately, and um, it's it's kind of the ba- part of it's involved with one of the projects I'm working on too. But a lot of MCs will study jazz as because of intricate rhyming patterns, intricate ways that jazz players play. Like rappers will emulate those schemes, rhyming schemes, to come up with more interesting interesting way to squeeze words into a bar. And so, like, they're, you know, guys like starting from like Biggie all the way up to now, like Kendrick. Yeah. Those guys, like MF Doom and those type of like heady rappers, that's what they do. They like study jazz and like crazy ways to like go ahead behind the beat, like squeezing triplets and like. That's dope. Yeah. That's cool. It's, I really respect the shit out of it. Yeah. Fuck. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, so keep working on that pop then. Keep working on the pop, man. Keep working on the pop. So what do you what do you think your the future of uh all this where's this all this stuff going with music licensing and all of the all of the things? Well, hopefully I mean there's kind of three buckets. There's big artists who will be famous otherwise and then projects will license their music to get the benefit of that or to incorporate with pop culture. Then there is like a middle ground of artists who are probably not well known and would see high value in licensing, like might be able with a big enough sync, they might be able to continue like start touring or just make a living. And then there's like production music, which is um, production music libraries. And there's just like massive catalogs with Millions of copy of tracks that they just own, and most of them are <clears throat> very derivative and basic. Um, yeah. And so those three buckets, I hope they all continue, and I think they will. Um, yeah. But I think the the future of music license music licensing is that so, a lot of projects will have to decide early on where which of those three buckets they they are working in. Maybe they can work on two out of three, but. A lot of content now, like short form content. Have you heard about this streaming um, platform that's coming out with all ten minute episodes? I think it's called Equibus or no. Jeff Jeff Katzenberg. No, <clears throat> it's his thing. But those type of projects, um, Mike, like where they're producing high volume, kind of more for less. They're only going to be able to afford production music and indie. And then the on the flip side, big studio films that like care a lot about like appealing to like you know your Fast and Furious type film that appeal to like a worldwide audience. They're gonna they're only gonna care about like the first tier, which is like the big artists who are gonna be universally applicable. Yeah. 
I happen to work on a lot of projects there right right down the middle. Which so, is probably the best place to be in. Yeah. You know? It's it's I think the most creative. Yeah. It's it's about finding those um diamonds in the rough and those artists that haven't gotten exposure that are making really dope shit and um can kind of translate to the audience. Yeah, um that's dope. but I think that's the most exciting place to be in for sure. Because a lot of times, if if you're working on a big project that's got to appeal to everyone, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's a lot of, um, and there's a lot of decisions out of your control. Yeah, yeah. And people don't realize that there's so many so many writers on these pop <laughs> pop songs, and they all correct me if I'm wrong, but they all have to agree that yeah, this is okay to be in Fast and Furious. Yeah, whatever it is, yeah. if it's like, uh, you know. Tool or whoever, like they, everyone in the band or everybody that wrote on the song has to then say, "Cool." <laughs> Even crazier are hip or rap tracks that have big samples. So if you have a song like, let's say you have a contemporary song that samples Marvin Gaye or um, the theme from Shaft or whatever, all the original writers also have to be contacted from so, the Shaft. From Shaft, whoever were the writers on Shaft. And so they'll all have like you know three point seven percent, and I've licensed songs before that have had up to like, I think like seventeen writers on them. You gotta be kidding me! Yeah, if you look at a song like Sicko Mode, <clears throat> yeah, that, I mean, I'll maybe we can put it in the show notes or something. But like the there's I think close to seventeen writers on that. What? Um, between all the samples. Th- the Drake, the th- two two or three different producers that were on it, the co-writers, um, wow, it's it's wild, wow. and so the so a song like that, I would just like, unlo- I would just stay away from for the most part. Yeah, wow, um, but That's yeah, fucking crazy. Wait, so if you sample if you sample something, wouldn't the label clear that? Before they release the the song, yeah, 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 they clear it, but they don't own it. So it's like, so you still have to just clear that sample. So that's, that's the publisher. That's the publisher you're reaching out to. They so the label might clear the sample, right? And so they, dude, there's so many layers to it. So if I sample so, okay. MC Hammer right now, yeah, to uh, can't touch this, right? If I Too sample that <laughs> and it pops, yep, then I would have to clear it with MC Hammer's camp, and then also with Rick James camp. So Many, in like ten there's years, more, when there's, there's like a actually, sample of a sample of a sample. Exactly. There's gonna be like there's more layers. Twenty yep. writers on it. Oh my god. Yep. Wow. And so you would have to you would have to contact um, MC Hammer's label and publisher. You'd have to work out new splits for your new song, and that song would incorporate the splits of the MC Hammer song that sampled Rick James. Yeah. Damn. So everyone everyone would have a little piece in it, and then if somebody wanted to sample your. Uh, to license your song, yeah, everybody would get a, a say in it, and everybody would get a little piece of the pie. And there's always that chance that somebody will say no, or like one of those little three yes. percent people is just like, "Fuck no, I don't want to be in the Fast and Furious." Yes, I hate Tyrese. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> fuck Tyrese. <laughs> fuck Nick Cannon. They have like a beef with <laughs> with them from like back in the nineties. <laughs> Man, fuck him, man. I opened up for him in Baltimore. He was such a dick. <laughs> yep. I've got some horror stories like that. Some 
Oh man, where you get to like almost the finish line and then it's just like, oh, oh it's yeah, not gonna happen. Uh, or just the writer, you know, there's been random writers uh, that were, you know, on holiday in Italy or they're kind of, or they're super old and they're hard to get in touch with. And sometimes it'll be like that 3% and you're down to the wire and you're calling, you're literally like going on Instagram or reaching out to people you know. And up till the very last minute, you're like hustling just to get in touch with that last person, that last three percent. Damn, it's yeah, it's it's a bit of the wild west still. There's no, I think there are people working on this technology solution to hopefully clear up, um, like a turnkey thing, a turnkey thing to register all songs like officially and have contact information and blah blah blah. Damn, but we're far away away from that. Like most of it is still very basic, like. A publisher will have to approach all seven of their writers before they can get approval on a song, and it's and it takes a minute. Yeah, and it's Damn. expensive. Yeah, like someone like Rick James who gets sampled. Yeah. If he wants, if some new rapper samples him, and then the new rapper really wants to get his song on TV, and he's willing to do it for like next to nothing because of the promo value he's going to see, Rick James don't give a fuck. <laughs> right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And even if you replay the Rick James sample, but it's a replay, Rick James still gets would still have to be involved. Wow. Yeah. That's a that's a common misconception behind replays in um in like clearance. That you can just do it. That you can just okay. replay anything and you own it now. It's, yeah. No, if it's the original copyright. That's and that's where it gets really gray. You know, it's yeah. like Oh, like how much is like that air um the Katy Perry mm-hmm. thing that just happened. <laughs> Did you listen to that? I don't think so. We got to check that out after okay. this. It's so Did she bad. sample a song? So it was the oh. Christian rapper dude. Okay. It was for Dark Horse with Juicy J. I did hear this. It's yeah. so bad. It's like, dude, that's, you can't own like the scale, the minor scale. Right. It it's, felt like it was a It's plug. almost the same, but it's like, how ma- so if I replay something that sounds dude, like Lil John and the East Side Boys, like it's that kind of fine line dude, where it's just like it's so that, simplistic. It, like it's that blurred lines case that and fucked that too, everything. And that too. That fucked everything. I think I think we just need to change the copyright laws. It just needs to a lot of shit just needs to go away. You know? I mean they're they're in place for a reason. Like I do like that they protect copyright owners and there is value and that's like what a lot of people have made their living off. Mm-hmm. And if you were a copyright owner of a massively successful song, you'd, you know, s- see the value in it. But you're right that like shit needs to change as far as like access to it, of ability to remix and to sample, like those things. And also, like you can't copyright a feeling. That that's the whole point with the Marvin Gaye thing and the Katy Perry Dark Horse thing. It's like, yes, those are vaguely similar. Yeah, and maybe there was inspiration. I don't think that was the case in the Katy Perry thing, but Not with blurred at all. lines, yeah, of course. And they, they were different tempos. They probably listened, like, and they were different tempos. That's yeah, crazy. Dude. And it was such a short loop too that they were claiming was simple. There's no fancy by Iggy Azalea. We were just talking about that before yeah. we started recording, yeah. and it's like fancy sounded like DJ Mustard produced it, but he didn't produce it. Right. And where was the copyright laws there? And low key, like it's it was basically. If a that happened today, of, that there might be a lawsuit, which is nuts. Yeah. Because he's using an 808 kit and a synth right. that is a popular synth. Like yeah. it, it, you know. Yeah. 
But I think from a lawyer, um, and I'm not a lawyer, but from a, from the lawyers I've spoken to, this the thing that's um, enforceable is like if it's um, perception from the general public, if mm-hmm. it can be perceived that like DJ Mustard, that's his sound, like I guess that's in some ways copyrightable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that's the whole thing with uh, with cover versions. Like Spotify and Apple don't allow cover versions that are too close to the original, because the public wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Right. And you're and you're infringing on someone else's copyright. Like you can't just replay, you know, a Radiohead song and then put that your version out. It's, yeah, but why not make it? And I know that that's this is not the law, but like, why not make it? So there's a revenue share, kind of like a YouTube or something. If you use a video, it'll flag you, yeah. and it'll say, "Hey, you're using this song. We're gonna take some of your money." Like it should just be like that. Well, when you, know? you do a cover, you should be registering the the copyright with the you original. Technically, yes. Yeah, you should go to Harry Fox, and <laughs> and you know, the bigger yeah. the artist, the more you actually have to do that. But yeah, that that's the system in place. So but, if I got somebody to rap Notorious B.I.G.'s lyrics, mm-hmm. that sounded like Biggie. Even if they didn't sound like Biggie, then even if you, they just rap the same lyrics, yeah, you technically should be doing. But that's legally, I can do that. You can do that. You, anyone can create a cover. That's and that's legal. It? Yeah, to Spotify. Yeah. So really, you can do a cover of anything you want. What? Like that Houston Atlanta Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, you can just release that. I didn't know that. Technically, you should be um, contacting like Harry Fox to register to. You'd start paying mechanicals, but. The practic—that's the legal definition of what you should be doing. The, but the pra- in practicality, if you're not getting millions of streams, like they're not going to chase you down. But what is that? So does that? Uh, they register it, and then they'll say they'll like tag your song, and and then you just owe a mechanical royalty. So every so let's say you did a cover of um, Nirvana, mm-hmm. and you got a million plays on it, you would owe Nirvana's publisher. X amount of dollars because it's is a cover. that per per stream or per sale or yeah, and then yeah. it, and then if someone wanted to license that Nirvana your cover of Nirvana yeah they'd license the master from you mm-hmm. and the publishing from Nirvana's so they, they would still have to get Nirvana's stamp of yeah. obviously they're yeah they're okay on yeah but yeah you could just release that whenever you want that's wild dude and you start doing some covers <laughs> <laughs> that's cool I didn't know that. But that's cr- that's pretty wild that you can do a cover of a song mm-hmm. and you can actually take it and not rip it off, but like do a version of it based on the song, and that's okay. But then blurred lines or whatever, like you're inspired by Marvin Gaye and you do some shit that's inspired by Marvin Gaye, right? And you get sued for it in Pharrell's case, which is fucking crazy, dude. Like, I don't know. Well, that's. I mean, they they were they sh- did shoot themselves in the foot a little bit by admitting on camera that they were listening to Marvin Gaye right before they created it. Yeah, but I still, guess. but, but the, the what <sighs> Marvin Gaye if if they had cleared it up front, I mean, there's nothing copyrightable in it, and um and I hate I that think. and I hate that ruling. Yeah, um, Marvin Gaye's team just wanted a portion of the publishing. It's such bullshit, man. It's just that greed shit. So greedy. Like you're Marvin Gaye's people, and you don't have enough bread. Like what? You you have some of the like. 
what, name one song everybody's listening to when they're fucking. Marvin Gaye. <laughs> you have money, dude. You have money. You know what I'm and saying? It's, like, and it's not about that. It's, it's about like, the fact that every single artist is inspired by everything they've heard thus far in their life. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're not directly stealing from them, like, you're going to be inspired by everything you've heard before, right? Yeah. So, and sometimes it's subliminal, dude. Like mm-hmm. They do that shit in stand-up comedy all the time. Yeah. There's been stand-up comedians that like, quote-unquote steal jokes. But really, they probably just watch a shit ton of stand-up comedy and something came into their subconscious that they were watching one night and then two years later, they were like, oh my God, I'm going to do a joke about pretzels. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're like, you're stealing from it. It's like, fuck. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's what art is. You're, in, you're inspired by things, man. And yeah, that's how you craft your sound. Great artists steal. Oh, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. But... Yeah. No, it's um. I think it's a good time to be alive, though, and good time to be an artist. Um, I think the the uh, like economics of it is, of course, going to change. Like to survive on your art is like yeah. just as difficult as it's ever been. But, In a way, I think it's all the same. Yeah, it all it all kind of levels out. I think there's definitely waves of like highs and lows and stuff, and we definitely the music industry. Definitely hit a low, I guess, recently, probably. But the you're fact saying that, like you're saying like Napster era? No, not even. I think the Napster oh, creatively, era was great. Mean? No, not creatively, just financially. I think that there's for four artists, like not oh, even for labels yeah. and stuff. Because uh, you know you're not making money off of streams and stuff, and some artists don't even really know too much about the sync game, and you know right. they don't tour or whatever, so they're really not doing any. Right. anything and making money. Right. But at the same time, the fact that you can have your phone and make a fucking piece of music on your phone, you know, if you're a musician, there's really no, nothing stopping you from making a song a day or a song a week or a song a month or whatever. No, there's and, not. And so the, the quantity that you could put out now and what you can actually do opposed to what it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, is exponentially better. So it's it's incredible. You know, it, evens, the, it evens out with the Lil Nas X example. Like, yeah, yeah. Kids able to like, he's just a great digital marketer, and he created a catchy as fuck song. But how he was able to do that was he was just a kid in his bedroom who was like buying lease beats on BeatStars or whatever platform you want to use, and it's very. You can just go on YouTube and search in like future t- type beat or Drake type beat, mm-hmm. and you can probably put together a little project for very cheap and it's, the access is in, insanely powerful mm-hmm. if you want it like you just have, but it comes down to that creativity so it levels the playing field as far as entrance and like now someone in in like Scandinavia is going to have like almost just as much chance as someone in Chicago but it just comes down to your talent mm-hmm. and like your creativity yeah it does which is where it should be yeah. in a lot of regards you know? oh yeah Hell yeah. Music's going to be better off for it because, I mean, the whole thing that people bitch about is, you know, industry plants or artists who are famous just for being famous, not for making good music. But, I mean, if the if the playing field is more level, it's going to, it presents exciting opportunities. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's good shit. Word, man. Well, super tight. It's, yeah, it is super tight. <laughs> 
Well, uh, yeah, thanks for coming through and educating us on uh, the music licensing game. And uh, I think it's too geeky. Nah, <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it. Thanks All for right. having me, bro. Thanks for coming through. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for listening, everyone. You can find JC on Instagram at Mix Mason, M-I-X-M-A-S-O-N. Thank you for listening, everyone. I will catch you in the next episode. My name is Woody, and this has been the Super Tight Podcast.